Thanks. Koinonia, Christian Fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I'm Tom Brown, and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. I hope that you're enjoying a beautiful day. Um, my guest is a friend, Grant Sardichak. He's a Christian businessman. He's been involved in all kinds of ministries for many years. He's a Canadian. We won't hold that against him, but <laughs> Grant, thanks so much for being here today. It's a great delight, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so tell us about yourself. Um, how'd you end up in Phoenix, Arizona? Well, that's a, I hope I'll make a long story short. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm the product of a first-generation Canadian on my mom's side and an immigrant on my dad's side uh, who settled into Calgary in the mid-'50s. And from where? Immig- from, I, originally, my father uh, immigrated after the war as a refugee, uh, was uh, in Ukraine, uh, found themselves in Germany at the end of the mm-hmm. war as refugees, and ultimately into Canada in 1949. And my mother's parents came in the uh, late-'20s, as immigrants from Germany, uh, settled in uh, Saskatchewan and then mm-hmm. subsequently Manitoba. So that's that's sort of my quick roots story. So do you have a heart for immigrants? Because immigrants get a lot of uh, news these days. <laughs> and do. the the Bible is pretty clear that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to welcome the stranger. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of benefits when we welcome people in need, isn't there? Without doubt, and that's that's the story of my family is deep uh, in terms of uh, deep in terms of European roots and and having coming out of crisis to a country of safety and security and opportunity. But I, I you know a, a lot of the work my brothers and I do the uh, my two brothers and I in business together in the real estate business, and we've got a heart for Ukraine and work extensively with ministries in Ukraine and travel there often. Really? Uh, yes. Yes. And what? Um, I have a um, cousin who just married a lady from Ukraine. Tell us about what's happening in Ukraine right now. It's very tragic. It is. Uh, the country, unfortunately, like a lot of Eastern Europe, is uh, is very corrupt. The, the government is highly corrupt from top to bottom. It's very difficult for, I would say, your typical man on the street to survive. Um, that has been going on since the fall of the Iron Curtain and even during the communist era. There's corruption was rife in the system. And so what we hear mostly about these days is the uh, the war in, in eastern Ukraine, which has uh, really enveloped two provinces, uh, Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, they are war zones, and, and they have been less topical, but the war rages on, and we're in close touch with uh, pastors in that area, so we have a, our finger How on do the, the pastors there feel about it? Well, you know, it, there is quite a divide because eastern Ukraine is highly influenced by uh, the Russians. Uh, many are of Russian descent. Um, I would say that, uh, if I can be political for a moment, that Mr. Putin has used this really as a tool to exercise, not really a land grab, but um, to extend his power and influence. Mm-hmm. And it is most of the uh, people battling on the Russian side are are uh, mercenaries, I'm told, by a lot of the pastors that are hired by the Russian military to fight in those areas. Are they Ukrainians hired to fight, or are they Russians uh, coming in to fight? Well, there are a variety. In fact, we've heard that uh, through a pastor who's there frequently on the front say that he sees uh, um, a quite a number of Chechnyans mm-hmm. who are there really uh, because they're being paid to be there. But mm-hmm. they are brutal, and the fighting is incredibly hostile and brutal. And those towns are uh, have been decimated. Their infrastructure has been decimated. 
And you're talking about a poor country to begin with, yeah. and then you have fighting going on, and before you know it, people have almost nothing. They're very vulnerable. It's absolutely true, and there's a huge refugee crisis going on in Ukraine because as many as in a million and a half Ukrainians are moving out of the east to the west. Yeah. My guest is Grant Sardichek. We're going to talk a little bit about politics. We're going to talk a little bit about business and about ministry. Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. My guest is Grant Sardichek. Grant has uh, family ties that go all the way back to Ukraine. People don't really realize that millions of Ukrainians were starved to death by Stalin when he was trying to subjugate the country. Tell, tell us a little bit about that history. When did it take place? Yeah, that uh, is in that Stalin era in the uh, late 20s and early 30s. Um, my grandparents uh, lived through that. My grandmother was German heritage, but as many Germans did back in that time, uh, migrated to western Ukraine because the farmlands there were so rich. My grandfather's a Ukrainian by heritage, by birth, and they lived through that era, which was did, horrendous. Did they talk to you about it? Do you remember any stories? They, they, they in fact, did, and, and uh, the stories, they were quite young at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but their recollections of uh, literally whole towns being starved out and Neighbors literally eating dirt and uh, tree bark to wow. survive. Wow, how horrendous story. You know, um, as a, a side note, I was listening to NPR yesterday and they were talking about the benefits that come when a boy from 9 to 12 years old survives starvation. There are benefits for his children and grandchildren. Have you ever heard that before? I had not, and and I'm now going to remind my brothers we got to we've got to cling to that heritage it, as it we is, get older. They <laughs> say there's lower for the grandchildren, especially lower heart disease, diabetes, and all and cancers and everything. There's something about the way that a boy's body is forming and everything. And anyway, it's a long story, but. Um, you're, you're going to reap some benefits I sh- because I sure they hope survived so. that I difficult sure hope time. So, <laughs> um, so it, has there been – there's a historical animosity then between Russians and Ukrainians. Yeah, the interesting history of Ukraine, uh, Mark, is that it, it has throughout almost all of its history, which dates back in some annals to the 7th century, uh, been occupied by one nation or another, whether it's uh, the Poles for a good part of – the early part of the history of uh, Ukraine occupied of, uh, of Ukraine occupied their territory and the Russians and there's a, a I think my recollection is and I could be corrected on this that up until the emancipation from communism in 1991 that they had been occupied by another nation for their entire history except for a matter of ten or twelve years at a time during that seven or eight hundred years and in fact wow. from 1991 to now. They tell me is the longest period of time they've actually been independent. In their so, how history. have they maintained their uh, 
identity then? Now, they have a language that's distinct. Is it very similar to it's Russian? It's similar. Uh, uh, it's a Slavic language, of course, but it is distinct and different from Russian and Polish and related uh, dialects around that part of Eastern Europe. Uh, the culture of Ukraine is quite, uh, it's robust. I mean, it, and it has been maintained. They're a very proud, patriotic people, despite the occupation of the communists for three generations. Uh, they maintained a, a very strong semblance of their country, its identity, um, their own culture. That's It's very rich in poetry and song. And the church actually itself in Ukraine has, uh, also has... Uh, embrace that as part of the culture of uh, Ukraine or part of their really um, worshiping and the practices of worship, engage in poetry and song. And again, in... in no, when you it, say the church, you're talking about Orthodox Church primarily? No, the Evangelical Church, really? frankly. Uh, the Orthodox so, Church I don't have a lot of direct experience with, although they're very significant there. But the Evangelical Church actually is, uh, particularly since 1991, has thrived. Has and, it really? Yeah, yeah. It, it's It's now under some of the influence of the Russian uh, mm-hmm. political system starting to wane a little bit. But it's it's thriving. And in fact, the work uh, our partner, Hart, is doing there is in partnership with many, many evangelical churches. And what's he doing? What's the thrust uh, of it? Hart is a Calgary-based, uh, faith-based charity that uh, we work very closely with. And they are working through 200 separate partnerships in Ukraine, primarily churches in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And they provide resources, a lot of financial but in-kind resources to those churches to deploy in their ministries in the local communities. It's a great model of mission mm-hmm. because it's really the locals that are doing the work and the local church is doing the work. So you've been involved in something. I read a book. I actually brought it for you and left it in my car, but it's called Gospel Patrons. Have you mm-hmm. heard of that book? I have not. It's It's a concept that God raises up businessmen and they undergird missions and ministries because of their the grace of giving that God's given them. Mm. You've been involved in supporting all kinds of different ministries for many years, right? Tell us your, your faith journey personally. Yeah, uh, well, it's not an, uh, an untypical story. I grew up in a, in a Christian family, three generations of Christianity, starting with my grandparents. And uh, as I say often, I entered the church in my mother's arms as an infant Mm -hmm. and uh, grew up uh, in the German Baptist Church in in Calgary, uh, Canada. Uh, Later in my life, as I got into college, I I really abandoned my faith. I was backslidden, and for years I got married, had a child, um, really were not at all involved in uh, the church or uh, actively engaged in my faith. And by God's grace, he, uh, through a series of events, brought me around to a place of understanding and knowing who I am in Christ. And that led to really a greater and deeper understanding of my calling and purpose. And as a businessman, as somebody who's in the marketplace, and often when people ask me what I do, I say, well, I'm a marketplace missionary. Mm -hmm. What I do is I, 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 by actions and deeds, I hope to speak God's truth to people that I encounter, that God Mm -hmm. puts in my, uh, you know, puts in my path. So the business world is fraught with, uh, uh, it's a swamp, so to speak, right? Uh, What are some of the lessons you've learned about Christian businessmen? They can't all be really trusted, can they? Well, yeah, unfortunately, we've had, as a family and as a family investment business, we've had our share of, I would say, uh, less than encouraging stories (laughs) involving with uh, men and women who profess to be believers, um, and and frankly, you know, it's uh, I'm a little bit uh, 
jaundiced when it comes to that. And uh, I think what really life is about is building relationship and hopefully building relationship before you get engaged in any serious matter of transacting business, if that's possible. Not in every case can you do that. And, and listen, you also, um, many men I think of uh, who are in my place could attest to this, that you can't always judge people in a way that uh, you know gives you the, well, you look for that discernment to determine whether or not you're dealing with somebody who's honest and who's a person of integrity. They may claim to be a Christ follower. Um, if if you can, and we've made this as a practice, we've tried to do this, to really do the diligence that we have to do to try and know somebody at a deeper level, get um, to know them. One of my friends who's done a lot of business in China says that the Chinese, they don't do business like Americans. They get together. They spend two or three days together. They really want to get to know the person. And I think partly it's because they can't trust the courts to give them justice. So they to, to exercise discernment, you have to be able to see how a person responds to different life circumstances, don't you? Absolutely true. And my comments I just made, I don't want that to convey that Every Christian businessman, I no, not but that. no, but it's just people need to be have a heads up that there are guys out there that use the name of Christ that can't be trusted necessarily. Well, that that is so true. Um, it's uh, it, it's unfortunately a huge black mark against against the Christian community because so often I encounter people who aren't believers who will say, "Oh yeah, that guy was claiming to be a Christian and he you know screwed me." Right. Whatever expression they use, it's you know he did me wrong and. Uh, those are the very most those are the most difficult situations to try and deal with as a believer trying to do business with the non-believing world. Well, I think the um, what ex- what allows that to be exploited is that churches are too divided. Mm. In my opinion, God has one family, and that family is called the body of Christ. It has lots of expressions, and lots of different names on the front door, but that's not the problem. The problem is if. People don't receive one another. I think that if somebody is kicked out of your church for malfeasance, then we shouldn't be welcoming them into our church and, and us saying, well, you finally found a place that's good and healthy. We're the only ones around, you know. That's a setup, and people exploit that. Uh, we need to to exercise church discipline. A church can't just be a country club where anybody who pays their dues is welcome. It has to be the body of Christ. And, and Paul specifically says, 1 Corinthians 5, if somebody is a swindler or a drunkard or immoral person, don't even eat with them. Remove them from your midst because it, we've got to protect the flock from wolves. That's so true, Mark, I think. And that is one of the great scourges on the church today, I think, is and it's of our own doing because we don't cooperate, we don't collaborate. There's a siloing that takes place mm-hmm. so often amongst churches. It's almost like it's a, a competition, which is uh, one of my enormous pet peeves in ministry, is we're all part of the same body, whether it's here in the greater Phoenix area, whether it's in parts of Ukraine, Mexico, wherever you might be, all over the United States. The fact of the matter is that we are a one body and that we need to work with one another. We are brothers and sisters. That's what binds us together. And so often, I think, particularly in the North American church culture, it really is, it's more about um, almost a a competitive atmosphere, Mm -hmm. which really is contra to biblical teaching. Yeah. So um, how have you let the Lord use you? Once you really gave your life back to the Lord, what, what has been the progression of your ministry over the years? You know, I would say this stands Partly, uh, I think it's, this holds for my two brothers and I. We, we do a lot together in, in the work of ministry across uh, North America and overseas. But really, it starts with having been brought up in a home where our grandparents and parents 
even as they were uh, establishing themselves, were so very generous to the people they left behind. Mm -hmm. For example, in Ukraine, they were always sending uh, money and clothing and medicine. And it was a great example for us and really set the tone, I think, for us focusing on what, what I would simply say is more of sort of widows and orphans. Yeah. We see the disenfranchised, whatever that means to you, widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. What it means to me is those on the edge of society, those that are disenfranchised, those are weak and are exploited by, uh, you know, by the system, so to speak. So uh, I want to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Many years ago, you helped us get a discipleship house. Mm-hmm. And um, that discipleship house, it had some rocky days, but it had many, many years of fruitfulness. We recently had a memorial service for um, a man, and uh, some of the guys that used to lead the discipleship house came, and and they're following Jesus with all their hearts, and mm-hmm. it's really, really neat. Mm-hmm. And today, we're using that house for young mothers that don't have Wonderful. husbands, and, and it's got five little uh moms with babies there and it's really really special my guest is grant sardichek i'm mark buckley we'll be right back after these messages Welcome back to Koinonia. My guest is Grant Sardichek. He's a Christian businessman who God has used to give birth to many ministries. Um, Grant, what what do you look for since, you know, there's all kinds of ministries out there and everybody needs funding. And obviously, um, people want to be the kind of ministry that's worthy of being funded. What do you look for in terms of how solid something is, how healthy it is? I mean, just like the way I look at it, uh, and and over the years as a senior pastor, we invest at least 10% or more of all of our income to our church into missions. Mm. So I'm doing the same thing, you know, in that capacity, even though I've stepped aside from being senior pastor, I'm looking for ministries to invest in Mm. that are going to bear long-term fruit for Christ. Just like if I was investing in a company, what kind of stock? I believe you buy low and then you release it, you know. What do you look for? What are some of the qualities that you look for? Well, yeah, that's uh, something that we've uh, sort of worked in and around for decades in our family and uh, some by trial and error. But I think because God calls us to the stewardship function, Mm -hmm. which is an act of worship, what we're looking for sort of fundamentally when we start to look at the bare bones of a ministry is, okay, who, who is actually leading it? Mm-hmm. What is their pedigree? What is their resume? What is their history? What is their governance structure? How do they hold themselves accountable within that organization? Uh, are they sound financially? You know, have they managed their resources well? Some of that's subjective, um, and uh, some of it is objective. You can look at the numbers, and it speaks for itself. You can speak to people that are in the ministry and are beneficiaries of the ministry. And it's, it's as you said, Mark, it's kind of an investment underwriting process. Yeah. And that's what I think all people who give should do to some degree or another, uh, mm-hmm. is to discern. And this is also, you know, you, you bathe it in prayer. You obviously need to submit this to the Lord. 
Um, all these things, I think, are good practices that lead you to, to good stewardship decisions. Yeah. So when people move from one city to another and they change churches, what I ask them uh, when they say, Mark, do you know of a church? I say, well, you're going to need to look for character, not mm-hmm. just doctrine. Doctrine is important, yeah. but you want to look for character because you're going to build your life together with these other Amen. people to bear fruit for Christ. Nobody bears fruit for Christ in isolation. We bear fruit for Christ Amen. together. So look for people that you want to do life with, not just put on a good show or something like that. No, it, precisely. And, and likewise, in ministry, we talk about parachurch organizations, faith-based ministries, not, specifically not churches. And what I'm about to say is that, too. You want to build relationship to some degree or another. You're not going to, you know, you know, we sort of look at our giving and say there's a certain amount we're going to give smaller amounts to a number of ministries, and some of them are very large, mm-hmm. do great work in various capacities. Uh, others that we see as perhaps being more aligned with what God's calling us to do specifically in mission, we want to get to know better, want to get to know them. It's the same kind of a mm-hmm. formula of relationship building. And uh, one of the organizations that I serve on the board of is called Partners in Action here locally, which is a faith-based ministry that has, is an umbrella for about 50 or 60 different ministries. And we're just in the process of finalizing uh, um, a remake of our business plan, which is a platform to really support and help ministries grow, survive first, but then thrive. And so we take on that responsibility of working with them through business plans, through seeing how they're deploying, uh, helping them walk through that process of becoming a a sustainable ministry. Right, because... um Well, Jesus said, if you abide in me, you'll bear fruit that remains. We want to see ministries. I I remember when we started a Christian school in California years ago, what I said to our team was, if we start a school, we will continue the school because we can't afford to get these kids started and then 10 or 20 years later, they drive by the property and say, well, I went to school there for half a year, (laughs) and then they shut it down. You can't do that to people, you know? When you get married or when you you plant a church or when you start a a school, some ministries can be short-term without a lot of detrimental consequences if it closes, but people put their heart, their soul, their prayers. We want to plant things that last. Absolutely. I think that longevity, sustainability, these are the the watchwords of today's sort of ministry activity mm-hmm. is. And, and going back to your point about investing in those, you want to see the prospects of that and the, and the roots being set down and the growth taking place and the structure being put in place to allow sustainability. Mm-hmm. That's a very important element. Now, you're involved in a church plant right now. You want to uh, tell us about it? Yes, it's near and dear to our hearts. My wife, Sheila, and I, uh, we are blessed to have uh, we only had the one child, a daughter, uh, mm-hmm. Christy, who married Michael Fay. He's pastoring a new church in Arcadia at 40th Street in Osborne. Um, it's the first time we've been involved as a couple in a church plan. Well, we've been married 38 years. Huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you uh, I think you and I need to spend as- more time together. <laughs> yes, all aspects of the ministry. Yeah, yeah. My wife's told me finally after our third one, that's it. We're not doing anymore. <laughs> you know? I can understand why. Yeah, well, uh, we, we had situations. We started living streams in our living room, and there was a Sunday when I was traveling, and our guest speaker was a doctor, and he had an emergency. He had to go to the hospital to take care of somebody who was dying. And, and so she ends up preaching and leading worship. And oh, it's my gosh. Like, and <laughs> it's, it can be, You've got a true partner there. <laughs> well, and that's why I tell guys, what does your wife have grace for? Because mm, mm. you're in this together. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, so, Grant, 
Oh, tell us, how would somebody get in touch? What's the name of it, and does it have a website? Or It, it does, and I'm as usual, ill-prepared. I might have to look at my colleague beside me here to get to to get that. But it's, um, it is, uh, I've just drawn a complete blank. That's awful. And the name of the church? <laughs> Arcadia City Church. Thank Arcadia you. City Church. Isn't that City awful? Arcadia, my son-in-law is going to kill me. Yeah. Arcadia City Church. And the website is simply arcadiacitychurch.com. Well, that's neat. We meet on Sundays at 5 p.m. And you're going to, I want you to introduce our next guest on the next segment of this program. His name is Coulter. Tell me about Coulter and why you think he's uh, somebody people should listen to. Yeah, Coulter is uh, actually, I met Coulter years ago as a young man. He's a son of a very close and dear brother of mine who uh, we served together at uh, McDowell Mountain Community Church. Uh, Watched Coulter grow from a distance and He's now uh, a member of the community of Arcadia City Church, recently graduated with his qualifications in counseling and Christian counseling. I think he has an interesting approach to that, particularly has a penchant for counseling young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think he has a lot of interesting, uh, in my opinion, a lot of interesting kind of approaches to that and how that's a ministry for him. And uh, I we really support him in that because I think it's something particularly for younger guys uh, growing up young in the faith, young in life, young in marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, this young man, I think, represents a great resource for them. Yeah, that is so important. Basically, what we're talking about is discipleship, right? Amen. How to really yeah. be a man of God, how to live a, a holy life and be free from the things in, in our culture that can just destroy a person's life. I am into that. So you've been married how many years now? Be 38 years in May. If you were talking to a young man, what were some of the things you'd tell him about how to have a good marriage? Well, you know, I've had the privilege, honestly, Mark, of counseling, uh, I'd say counseling, really mentoring young men. There's about five guys, young guys in my life at various stages of life. Some are engaged, some have been married for a number of years. And what I consistently tell them, number one, is uh, first and foremost, what's important in your marriage is each of you, uh, your wife and you, having this relationship with Jesus. That's the number one mm-hmm. uh, priority in your life because f- what what comes from that and the sort of triad of relationship is a foundation that will never be broken. I think if you're both focused on that relationship, the marriage travails and turmoils will take care of themselves. Certainly we talk about many other things, communicating well, but number one and foremost, entering into marriage, understanding and knowing that the most the, the the most important aspect of marriage is that as your faith in Christ as individuals. Now you didn't start your marriage as a believer. So how did you guys? You needed some healing probably from some of your uh, uh, bad practices early. Grace on. of God, <laughs> we made it. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, we had a in many ways, I guess, in a secular sense, a strong marriage. But you know, it's you're battered about by life and uh, challenges of life. And so uh, I would say that as both my wife and I came back to a place of knowing and understanding that uh, uh, our faith had, had really, we'd failed our faith in many respects. It's probably not theologically correct to say that, but we had so walked away from it. And it was through our daughter and her um, accepting faith in Christ that really brought us back together really? as a family. Yeah, it's amazing. Great yeah, story. Yeah, because you loved her and you mm. wanted the best for her. And then in her, you saw... Yes. The need for God's blessing. Yeah, that's how right? he showed himself to us in a, in a very, very visible way. And now you have four grandkids? Four grandkids. How do you like them? Oh, my gosh. What a season of life this is. We just love it. Yeah, they're from ages from three to nine, and they're just great. Congratulations on that, Grant. Thank you. So in your personal walk with God, what do you do to keep yourself spiritually healthy? 
Yeah, and that's that's a great question because as you know, with ministry and business and just life and family, it's overwhelming. I think so many times you find yourself uh, not doing what you should be doing. And I, I'm a uh, I'm the first one to say to the guys I mentor, you know, you have to have those disciplines of reading God's word. Mm-hmm. You need to be in community. That's vital, vital above else uh, all else. You need to be in community with other believers in a healthy church, um, uh, in prayer consistently, constantly with your spouse. Um, these are things I fail on nearly daily, but in doing those things, I just find myself so much closer in my relationship with Christ. It is so sustaining for me and so essential uh, that once, if I fail to do that on a consistent basis, I just find myself in the wilderness. Really, it's an odd but very palpable feeling. So what kind of businesses are you guys involved in now? Uh, we're principally real estate investors. You know, My, my mm-hmm. two brothers and I, I mentioned earlier, are in business together. They live and work in Calgary. I'm here in Arizona. I go back and forth uh, virtually every month. And um, it, it's largely commercial property. Uh, we've been in all manner of asset classes from apartment to commercial office to retail. Very opportunistic. We're kind of in that uh, phase of life now where we're backing off active sort of involvement in large-scale investments because we just find at this point, the call in all of our hearts, I praise God for this, is that he's sort of all of us, uh, three of us, are at that point where we want to invest much more time in the in the kingdom. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Wonderful. My guest has been Grant Sardacek, and uh, I want to thank you very much for taking this time thank to you. be with me, Grant. Thank you. God bless you. I'm going to be right back with another guest in just a moment. And uh, I hope you're enjoying the program. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you ever want to find us, we're at livingstreams.org. Or you can look me up at markbuckleyministries.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. With me in the studio is Coulter Bloxham. Coulter, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So you are a therapist, Thrive Therapy. I love the name of your group. Tell us a little bit about your walk with God and your philosophy of ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I work at a, uh, a practice called Thrive Therapy, and, and I agree. I, I, I love the name. Um, I graduated from Denver Seminary in 2015 with my master's in clinical mental health. Um, as far as the church goes, uh, similar to Grant, I was kind of raised in the church and have s- spent time in a number of different ministries, overseas ministry, uh, working at, at church plants as well. And sometime in my mid-20s, decided to go back to grad school. I found myself, my, my favorite part about ministry was really connecting with people on an individual level, hearing their stories, um, kind of getting to dive in mm-hmm. to the brokenness with them. That's a space I, I really enjoy being in, and I consider myself really blessed to get to do that on a daily basis. 
So you love counseling people. I do love counseling people. And do you pray with your clients as well, or how do, how do you approach a typical client? I do. I kind of let the client drive that piece. So I, I do not exclusively see Christians, uh-huh. and so that might be something that somebody doesn't want as a part of mm. their counseling or process. Not initially, possibly, huh? Yeah, potentially not. Potentially that might be something that is added in later. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do pray with clients. Uh, and again, that's something that I kind of let them drive at the beginning. Some people might come in a bit uncomfortable with that in the mm-hmm. early stages. And w- what is your basic philosophy of counseling? Oh, in, in one sentence, that might be a tough uh, question to answer. Uh, my basic philosophy of counseling, I, I think I could probably sum it up in um, and, and I'm going to throw in caveats just because I, I don't think we can throw every person kind of into the same box. And um, it's also a good reminder as to why uh, my approach isn't necessarily going to work for every individual person. Mm-hmm. That all being said, I, I would say that my philosophy kind of comes down to uh, that there is a brokenness inside of all of us. And I really believe that we all keep certain things in the dark, believing that if this came out, it would destroy me or Mm -hmm. nobody can know about this. But it's never really that thing in and of itself that destroys us. It's the fact that we keep it in the dark. So my big philosophy around counseling is is bringing everything into the light, uh, creating a safe enough space as to where everything can come out and no stone is really left unturned. Yeah. I had a a guest just earlier that um, talked and uh, about that we talked about John first John 1 7 and 1 9 if we walk in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus's son cleanses us from all sin coming into the light allows us to really connect with each other in fellowship and in that process the blood of Christ cleanses us mm-hmm. there's forgiveness of sin but there also needs to be cleansing huh absolutely i think that's right on and i i think that's something that can can lack in in the church at times and there's sort of a misconception that we need to come to the table or we need to come together uh, out of complete wholeness mm-hmm. and that we're all going to arrive um, being perfectly put together uh, versus bringing everything out into the light. And the, I, I, I believe there's going to be messy parts of that, and that's largely guided by the fact that I do work in counseling, so I uh, am in that mess with people a lot. Yeah. Well, I was just, um, what you said reminded me of communion, you know, the body of Christ is broken for us, mm-hmm. so, you know, so that even though he was whole, the punishment of sin uh, enabled him to be broken so that the what he earned, which was the grace of God, mm-hmm. is something that we receive um, that tra- you know transforms us. Um, and the the first communion was the Passover, right? I mean the it, communion celebrates Passover. the The lamb was actually living with the families for five days before it was sacrificed, which meant the kids fell in love with the lamb. And the wife probably liked the lamb. And then you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It's a whole big, messy scene yeah. that is designed to bring people healing. Yeah, and I really, I really like that imagery there. Yeah. So um, you're just starting out. Thrive um, is your practice. And do you have some other people in the practice with you as well? Yes. So uh, 
I am just starting out here. I, I recently moved back to the Valley after uh, growing up in, in Phoenix. I, I moved to Colorado for six or seven years and have recently moved back to establish practice here. I, I believe there's 11 uh, therapists altogether. Yeah, therapists that work with us. The, the practice was started by a man named Sam Lample, and he's my supervisor. And there are 10 or 11 other therapists kind of at my level, and mm-hmm. it's really a, a collaborative effort between independent contractors. Wonderful. When, and how would somebody reach you guys? So our, our website is thrivetherapyphx.com. Uh, that's okay. probably the best way to get in, in contact with us. Um, you can get in touch with really any clinician from there. So what are some of the things you do to help people um, relax and really open their hearts? Do you, do you talk to them about some of the areas you've struggled in and where you've been broken? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I, I do do that. I, we call that self-disclosure mm-hmm. um, in, in the counseling process. I rely on that a lot and use that a lot. And it may not necessarily come from a place of, oh, yes, when I was there and mm-hmm. I struggled with that, here is what I did. But a huge part of my philosophy, a huge part of my philosophy regarding counseling is uh, being open and being honest. I think one of the things that I offer, uh, and, th- and this is just kind of natural to who I am, is is trying to be relaxed and trying to just be kind of a normal guy. Um, Right now, I do work with a lot of men, and uh, it may not be a surprise to you, a lot of men kind of come into that process a little bit uncomfortable, and uh, I think maybe they're expecting somebody to judge them or be psychoanalyzing them right off the bat, and so I like to lay the foundation of, hey, just, I'm a regular guy too, yeah, I know that I'm a therapist, but uh, we can kind of chat for a minute, and then also being kind of honest about that process that, yeah, maybe this is a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. at first. I think trying to pretend like it's not is not helpful. Yeah, yeah. It is uncomfortable for people to open up their heart. Yeah. And um, what are some of the issues that a lot of guys are dealing with? Uh, a lot of the guys, I would say a lot of what I see men dealing with comes back to identity mm-hmm. and really forgetting what their identity is, uh, especially younger men in their kind of early, mid-20s. There are these mm-hmm. really big questions looming about who am I and uh, and what am I doing, and then potentially letting what sin or brokenness is in our lives define us. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I, I have struggled with on a personal level as well. Um, a, a lot of the other issues, as, as I'm sure is not a surprise, come back to um, lust and, and, unfortunately, pornography as yeah, well. Yeah, that's a huge thing. It's permeating our entire culture now, isn't it? It is. It, and, it, well, tell, just in a general sense, talk to people about how debilitating and damaging it is. Yeah, it's, it's very damaging, and it, it is unfortunate how much it is— uh, permeating our culture, I think what it really does is really gives a, a misguided view of uh, what healthy intimacy mm-hmm. looks like. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is I, I really believe that there's a true and good desire 
behind all of the actions that we choose. And so uh, when somebody reaches out in that way, they're usually looking for intimacy uh, to be filled, which that that is a it's a good thing to want to have intimacy in the right mm-hmm. context. And that's something I believe that we all crave, but we we start to reach out in a um, in a damaging way, and then we start creating those patterns in our life. And uh, as those patterns become solidified over time, uh, it creates a distorted and disjointed reality of what that should actually look like. That's really well put, Coulter. I appreciate you saying that. Um, God loves us. That's the bottom line. And so everything he says is good for us is because he loves us. And everything he says is poison, it's because he really loves us. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I used to think it, when I was distorted by smoking a lot of marijuana that, you know, God just wanted to keep these things away from us or people wanted to keep them away, it away from us because they didn't want us having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what I say to couples, you know, as they're preparing for marriage is if you do this right, you're going to be preparing for a good marriage for 50 or 60 years. If you do it wrong, you're going to be paying a price for 50 or 60 years because you didn't do this the right way. You didn't get your roots deep. You didn't start with a clear conscience. You didn't start with real respect for each other. And that's something God wants for you so that you can be blessed together. I totally agree. And to kind of bring thing full, things full circle with that, uh, I, I had a friend who was also in the field say something to me one time that really kind of resonated because we, we were talking about the issue of pornography and lust. And he said, you know, before you know it, and, and he said, you being the universal you, he said, before you know it, you're sitting outside of... Um, of an adult video store on a gorgeous day. And that image just really kind of broke my heart because that just sounded so horrible to me to, mm-hmm. to picture somebody, you know, where they could out be out hiking camelback that day yeah, yeah. Um, and just entrenched in addiction. Yeah. Uh, and so I totally agree with you that th- that is what God is wanting for us, not because he's just wanting us to stay away from the fun things. Um, he's wanting us to live a life of wholeness. Amen and amen. My guest is Coulter Bloxham. He's with uh, Thrive Counseling. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. All right, I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and we're wrapping up the program. If you ever want to visit us at Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org for service times and um, all kinds of different ministries. My guest has been Coulter Bloxham. Uh, Coulter, you got anything else, closing words for our listeners? 
Yeah, I I think that what I would like to say, since I, I do work a lot with men, is um, I would really encourage people to to press in to some of that brokenness that is there and that our identities are not found in that, but that is something that we are all dealing with on some level. Mm-hmm. I, I think that men in our society are encouraged to come with things really put together. And the truth of it is, I don't, none, none of us have arrived, and I really don't believe any of us ever totally do. We're all in process, uh, and we're all kind of along that journey throughout the entire time. Um, and my encouragement is, is to get that stuff out into the light, um, because in the darkness is where it grows, and uh, the light scatters the darkness. And It is possible to be free, isn't it? I, I totally believe so. Um, and, and I think that it, some of that is, is changing our conception of freedom to, look, uh, to not looking like a place of perfection, but um, understanding, that, uh, understanding that freedom looks like keeping things in the light and uh, having community with people. Amen. Yeah, because you're still subject to temptation. You're still subject to emotion. You're still subject to living in a fallen world. So being free doesn't mean you don't have temptations. No. It simply means that you're, there's no guilt, no shame. Absolutely. Coulter, how would somebody reach you? Uh, ThriveTherapyPHX.com. ThriveTherapyPHX.com. Thank you very much. And you can reach me at markbuckleyministries.com. I'm glad that you've been listening today. The truth will set you free, and the truth is that Jesus Christ died so that the blessing he had on him would come on you, and the punishment that should have been on you because of your sin was put on him at the cross. He rose from the dead, so he's got life, and you can have life too. Thanks for being with us on Koinonia. Koinonia.